I couldn't believe it was my time already. I stood there for a minute. Me, really? But I want you to know that you filled in pretty good in the gaps, and it's a pretty good crowd for Memorial Day weekend. So I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, as we begin our study this morning, I, I want to sort of venture away a little bit from what uh, we've been doing on Sunday mornings, and we'll get right back to it. But on this Memorial Day weekend, I just really prayed about what the Lord would have me to say and do, and I, I, I think, I know that I have a word from him, a word to me, and I'm going to share it with you. As we try to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and price for our freedom as a nation, we realize that memorials help us to remember. There are a lot of monuments in the nation that stir our hearts, that stir our memories, and cause us to be thankful and grateful for those who have come before us. Matter of fact, if you've ever visited Washington, D.C., it is a city filled with monuments and memorials. We honor past generals, past politicians and leaders, statesmen, and those who have helped to shape our great nation of the United States of America. The most famous monuments are found in the National Mall. There's the Vietnam Veterans Memorial that many visit every year. The Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln is the one who signed the Emancipation Proclamation and freed the slaves and did a great work. And there's a memorial to him, a large memorial. The Korean War Veterans Memorial is there in Washington. And I, I cannot name them all. I'm just going to mention a few. The National World War II Memorial is there. The Jefferson Memorial, you remember he is the author of a, the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson. The Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial. And his memorial is given because of his great leadership in leading this nation through a terrible time of depression. And then there's the Washington Monument to memorialize the very first president of the United States. It is the tallest structure in Washington, D.C., 555 feet tall. They began to build it in 1948, and it took 30 years to build, mostly because of a lack of money, and then the Civil War interrupted its construction, and it was finished afterward. But when you turn to the Bible, you find that there are memorials throughout the Scriptures. We've studied some of them recently, and I mentioned them just in passing today. You remember when the Israelites had finally conquered the land that God had promised them after crossing the River Jordan and then the Battle of Jericho and Ai and the other places, and they finally have gained possession of the land. That is when Joshua called them together, and you remember that he gave, uh, gave the stone and Joseph's bones to them as memorial to remember where they had been and what God had done for them uh, as they were in Shechem. Prior to that, you remember, when they crossed the River Jordan going into the Promised Land, 
there were men who carried stones to the center of the river and the Ark of the Covenant, those bearing that stood still so that the water stayed divided and they could walk through, if you remember. And then they placed, they heaped those stones up in the middle of the river so that every time they saw that heap of stones, 12 huge stones that were placed there, they would be reminded and could tell their children and their grandchildren that those stones are there because of the safe passage God gave them into a land that he had promised their forefather Abraham, and they had returned to that, and that was a memorial to help them remember that. There was a beautiful testimony and memorial to the Lord in the building of Solomon's temple, pronouncing the glory and the holiness of God as we looked at that a couple of weeks ago and the fire fell, you remember, that day. And what an awesome, awesome day when the building was dedicated and Solomon's temple, a beautiful edifice it was to the glory of God. Then we come to the time of the church. And in Ephesians, Ephesians we read in chapter 2 and verses 19 and 20, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. As you know, many buildings have been built and dedicated for a cause or a purpose, and it begins with the cornerstone. And that cornerstone is very important for from that point of laying the cornerstone, all other corners are proportionally laid for the building to be constructed upon the foundation that has been poured. And it is telling us that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. That everything that goes on in the church is built upon him. Every promise that is made to the church is a promise that is built upon what he has done for us, for his life of perfection, for his teachings and his miracles, for his substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary, for his temporary burial, and for his wonderful resurrection on that Sunday following, the first Easter Sunday. And then, of course, his ascension into heaven with the promise that he's coming again. He is the cornerstone of the church. Everything we believe, everything we practice, everything that we have received from God in our salvation experience is furnished by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. Every person who's ever been birthed into the family of God has become a part of the church, the building of God, as it's referred to by the Apostle Paul. Every person comes into that building as Jesus Christ saves them from their sins by confessing faith in him and believing upon him as Lord and Saviors. Savior. Memorials are not meant to ever be removed, and I know we have gone through some of that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about those statues and monuments of the Confederacy and other things that folks would be offended by, perhaps. 
but it represents a testimony of those who came before us, their contributions, and the faith that guided their sacrifices. Yet in America, we have removed a lot of those memorials, those things that have been constructed in our past, those foundations that have been laid, those cornerstones for the building of a, building of a culture and a society, for the building of a nation. We have seen them being destroyed one at a time, and we find ourselves wondering what in the world is next. I'm not talking about granite structures. I'm not talking about marble structures or stones. I'm talking about something far more important than that. I'm talking about foundational stones of who we once were as the United States of America, things that are missing from who we are today. We have removed some very important foundational stones of America which show a huge divide from what this great, great nation once was and what it was intended to be. This nation has been a strong nation in this world since its conception and its birth. This nation has led the world in things that cause peace and bring about peace and protecting peace. This nation has led the world in standing for what is right for human beings and placing ourselves in the position of helping nations that were being destroyed or those things were being destroyed to stand by them and with them. And that's why we have Memorial Day, that we memorialize those men and women who have died, especially on foreign soil, as they have give them, given themselves to protect the ideals of this great nation, of our beliefs and our standards, and stood for what is right, even with other nations. But we have seen those things removed, which shows a huge divide from this great nation and what it was as a strong voice in the world. That concerns me. If you've been around me very long, you know that I'm a veteran of the United States of America, the United States Air Force. I served seven and a half years in the Air Force before I gave over to my calling to ministry and got out and, and married a sweet woman that uh, I'm thankful for. And, and we've been, I've been in Alabama ever since. I'm a Georgia boy, grew up in South Georgia. And, and uh, God, through the Air Force, brought me to Alabama, and I've never left it. I'm an Alabamian through and out. Georgians think they have it all. They ain't got nothing. I'm very thankful and proud to be an Alabamian, but I'm very thankful to be a citizen of the United States of America. I'm, I'm very proud, and I say that with humility. I'm proud of my military service. I'm thankful for that time that I could serve in the armed forces of the United States. My mother taught me as a little boy that we would go to parades in downtown Tifton. And I, some of you will remember, but back in those days when you had a parade, there were always military units that were included in the parade. Those soldiers would be brought in. Those airmen would be brought in. Uh, the, the Army 
drum and bugle corps would be brought in. The marine band would be brought in. And they would march down Main Street, Tifton, Georgia. And I can see my mother standing there and tears running down her face as those men and women of service would march down that street and they would be playing on those instruments of John Philip Sousa March and, and your heart would just swell with pride. I'm telling you what, I've been a flag-waving, America-loving citizen since I was a little boy, and that has not changed. I'm thankful to be a citizen of the United States of America. Could I have a witness? All right, thank you. But I want to tell you, there's some concerns today about the memorials those monuments that have been constructed through the years in our lives, in our culture, and in our society that have been torn down and no longer are honored. Prayer in school. You children do not know about prayer in public school. You don't understand that years ago, every day started with someone coming on the intercom once we got intercom. And someone would read from the Word of God, and then someone would lead us in prayer, and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I'm talking about every morning of school, all through, even my high school days, we still had that. Before we had the intercom, the teacher in each classroom was responsible for having someone to read the devotional passage for that day and usually she would lead the class in prayer occasionally in the the younger classes there'd be a child to say can I have the prayer today and she would let that child lead in prayer that was practice all the time you see it laid a foundation it, it laid a seed in the hearts of boys and girls even in those young ages and those young grades of who God is and that he is to be revered, and he's to be worshipped, and he is a God who hears our prayers, and he responds to our prayers. And we use that time every day for that to take place. I was in high school when integration took place, back when I was in the younger classes, and some of you will remember there was a black school and there was a white school. There was a black elementary school and a white elementary school. The same with middle school or junior high school, the same with high school. I was a senior in high school when our county integrated the high schools. Let me tell you what our principal did. Corky Johnson was our principal. He was a godly man. He was a personal friend of mine. He was so close that he gave me keys to the schoolhouse. I'm telling you the truth with my hand raised. A teenage boy with keys to the schoolhouse. And he had asked me, Ricky, you always come in the other door down there, so when you get here in the morning, would you unlock that door so others can come in? And he said, if anybody should call you on the weekend and they have a legitimate reason to get in, that they left something or whatever, would you, would you mind taking care of that? And so I was the bearer of the keys of the school through my high school days. Isn't that something? I really was. Had a good relationship. I have a picture in my office of Corky Johnson and myself for my senior picture, he came by and, and was in a suit, and he had a picture made with me, and I still have it today. He's gone home to be with Jesus today, but what an impact he made in my life because of the principles that he stood upon. 
because of the word of God that he made sure that we read every day, because of the prayers that were offered at his leadership in our school, our lives were greatly impacted. But that's not true anymore. The courts have legislated something that is not them to, for them to do, but they have decided that prayer does not belong in the public schools. High morals were once expected of our citizens, both old and young. There wasn't a really excuse for young people being young people. Now, I've heard parrots say that back in the old days, but there, there really wasn't an excuse. If you were going to be a young person and act like one that didn't have enough sense to walk around and make right decisions, you suffered the consequences from it. I'm telling you, I've gotten home several times and suffered the consequences on my posterior as dad would make sure that I knew that that was not something I was to be involved in. But I've been already whipped two or three times by the neighbors by the time I got home that day. They had already heard about it. And by the time, you know, I, it was just that way in our society and our culture in those days and we but we taught that there is something to having high morals but these lofty monuments of prayer publicly especially with children and teaching them to revere and honor a holy god to honor god with morals have long since been torn down or discarded for an amoral society in which we live and that bothers me today the foundation of the sanctity of life it's not something that's recent been recently been thought of that there's sanctity of life we've known that for years we believed that for years this nation was built on the understanding that every life was important and we believe that Way too often we hear the news of another mass killing in the cities across America. People are senselessly gunned down every day for apparently no reason or far from a legitimate reason that it takes place. Anti-abortion laws are continuously struck down when the states come up with them. They're struck down by the courts which have long ignored the place of God in our culture and our society. The sacredness of marriage is a thing of the past. You may not really understand what took place in Alabama, but there is absolutely no recognition of the church or the minister in the process of a couple getting married. They can have a church wedding if they want to, but it means nothing in our culture, in our laws. All they have to do is sign a contract at the courthouse, courthouse and pay for it. There is no ceremony. There is absolutely nothing. Not even the judge of probate does that anymore. And they just go in and they sign a contract. Doesn't matter what sex they are. Doesn't matter what, where, how, what the ages are. I, you do have to be of legal age. I will give you that. But they're just, they just sign a, a little form and pay their fee to the state and they're legally married. I'm thankful for Christian young men and young women who still understand the importance of coming before a holy God at the altar of matrimony and making their statements together and for them to pledge to their walk together and their faithfulness together and to join their hearts together in the presence 
and with the blessings of a holy God to serve him and to honor him by having a Christian wedding ceremony, but it absolutely takes no priority, no precedence, and has no meaning in the culture and society in which we live today. The foundations are being destroyed. The monuments are being torn down, and we find ourselves in need. The manger for Christmas and the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ are no longer welcomed monuments in the public square as to remove any recognition as to him being God incarnate. Let me tell you what, for the church, the cross is a very meaningful, important monument. Upon that foundation of what Jesus did on the cross is the basis of our salvation. It is the basis of our Christianity and everlasting life in him. Listen to what the book of Acts says concerning the cross. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And on that foundation I stand. I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus. I'm thankful for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for his resurrection, as I've said several times in this message. But it is the foundation of the church of everyone who comes to faith in Christ and has eternal life. It is the foundation of our heart and our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, the scripture says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded shall not be made ashamed, shall not be dishonored, shall not be disappointed is what that word means, confounded. The foundation of the church, the cornerstone of the church is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is upon those truths that we stand. We're called to be the church, a testimony to the Lord Jesus and of his ability to forgive and to save, and his desire for all to come to repentance, we need to take some actions now as a church. We've been shut up long enough by COVID-19 and all of its effects. It's time for the church to get outside of the building. It's time for the church as we're in the marketplace. It's time for the church in the schoolhouse. It's time for the church in the courthouse. It's time for the church in the public arena to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus. There's some things we need to do, as I hope I have 
shocked you and caused you to remember from whence we've come and how we have slipped and fallen and the condition we're in in the United States of America today. You say, preacher, are you just throwing up your hands and you give up on America? Shoot, no. I tried to establish when I started, I love this nation. I've served this nation. I honor this nation. I pledge allegiance to this nation. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I stand on that. I believe that. I practice that. I love that truth. I'm not giving up on America, but I'm telling you what, I'm not giving up on the gospel of Jesus. And it's our responsibility to do some things. First of all, we need to go back to the foundation, to the, to the monument of prayer. We need to pray for America. That needs to be a part of your daily prayer time. It needs to be a part of your devotional time in your privacy and in your Sunday school classroom as you go there in a few minutes. When you have your prayer together, you need to pray for this country. We need to pray for this community. We need to pray for those who are outside of Christ and ask God to give us the opportunity and to give us the fortitude and the nerve and the stand to take that we can tell them about Jesus. We need to pray for America. We need to pray one for another. This is a difficult day to live in a lot of ways. It is difficult to be what God has called us to be. It is difficult to take the kind of stands we ought to take. It is difficult for our school children to take the stands that they ought to take because it's not popular today. It is not sanctioned today. It is not blessed by leadership today. And it's not easy for them. And we need to pray for our children. We need to pray for our leaders, those that are Christians, that they would not dishonor the name of Christ by being silent, but they would stand upon the principles of the Word of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to practice the presence of Christ in our daily life in front of others. We used to sing the old hymn, Let Others See Jesus in You while passing through this world below. Let others see Jesus in you. We need to make sure that we cross our T's and we dot our I's in our behavior in the public place. We need to make sure that we do the same in doing our income tax forms. We need to make sure we do the same thing when we're obeying the laws of the land. We need to be an example to others, not because we want to be goody-goody-good shoes. It's because we want to honor the name of Jesus in the way that we live, practice his presence in our daily lives. Proclaim gladly and proclaim it vocally that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to heaven. Become a personal memorial, a personal monument as to his glory. As that song I just quoted says, let others see Jesus in you. You be the monument at work. You be that rock of Gibraltar, if I could say it that way, at work. You be the one that makes the stand and, and is a difference. Oh, you don't have to be ugly about it. You, you don't have to get on to folks. 
about it. If there's terrible vulgar language going on, you don't have to speak up and say, y'all don't talk like that, that's terrible. That could cause folks to not want to be around you or not even to pay any attention to you, even though I think there is a time to speak up and say, enough's enough. But you don't participate. You turn and walk away. You look another direction or lower your head that they get the message that you are not pleased with that, that you don't agree with that. You're not going to laugh at that vulgarity. You're not going to be a part of that. You be that foundational person in the place that you were. You be a personal memorial to the Lord Jesus Christ and a monument to his glory in your everyday life. God's made us some promises. And I close with this. God's made us some promises. As we look in the book of the Revelation, Jesus had John write down seven letters, you remember, to the seven churches scattered out throughout Asia Minor. But he sent, asked him to send a letter to the church at Philadelphia in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 7. Listen to what he says. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. That's a strong God right there. Listen, he's identifying himself. Listen, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that you have invited, I've loved you, that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to persevere, also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you hear the promises God said? I will do a work. I will preserve you. I will be a blessing to you. I will even honor you in that day if you stand fast and you stay in the word and you stand in Jesus. I will honor you. We need more monuments. We need more monuments. Living monuments to the glory of Jesus. We need for the church to be a monument of praise, 
of worship and of declaration that Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth, died on the cross for our sins, he was buried and rose again and lives today. We need to be that kind of a church and that kind of individual Christians in the culture and the society in which we live that we can once again say, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Because God says he will honor the Christian. He will honor the Christian that will live the life and take the stand. Don't you want to see God honor you in this day in which we live? Don't you want to see God honor your walk with him in this culture in which we find ourselves living? Don't you want to be someone who brings glory to the name of Jesus? He says, I'll reward you openly. I will bless you for doing what I ask you to do. Though we see a lot of these things having been destroyed in our culture today, we see a lot of ignorance in our culture about who God is and what he offers in Jesus. We are given the task, the responsibility, and the awesome privilege of sharing in a culture that seemingly has lost its way. We've been given those responsibilities and, and the blessing of sharing the good news of Jesus. By the way that we live, by the stands that we take, by the actions of our lives, by the speech of our mouth, the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ alive in us. I trust you'll do that. Let's honor him on this Memorial Day and the days following. Let's honor the one who gave his all that we could have life and that we could be a blessing to our homeland. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we've come into this place today. We have paid tribute to the nation that we've been so blessed to be citizens of for these years. We have paid tribute and honored those who have come before us and paid the ultimate price of sacrificing their lives so that we might be free today. And yet it seems as though we live in a culture that completely ignores those things and would turn our back on good folks all over the world who need the strong United States of America to stand with them. Lord, we need Christians that will stand in the culture where we live. Help us to be the kind of citizens that honor Jesus in what we say, what we do. But Lord, help us to be faithful to share the gospel of Jesus so we can reach a lost and dying man, woman, boy, or girl with the good news that Jesus saves. Thank you for the privilege. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we strive to keep what you've asked us to do, to be faithful in all things. Lord, I recently prayed down in Montgomery, Alabama, the capital, 
And I quoted this song. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Lord, may that be the prayer of our lives and the dictates of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.